Welcome to Confessions of a Realtor. As an active, full-time realtor serving Tallahassee and the surrounding areas since 2014, it was time to use my experience to educate consumers on the whys and hows behind the home buying and home selling processes. We'll have some fun, I'll share some crazy real estate stories, and keep you informed on realtors' best kept secrets. Why? Because when you're informed, you can make empowered decisions. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Realtor. Today we are going to head right into part two of your home buying process. Now we've already gone through steps one through six last week and we ended on writing an offer on the home. So let's say that that offer either gets accepted or that it gets negotiated, but at some point, both buyer and seller are on the same page. Well, then we would have both buyer and seller sign off on the contract, which leads us right into step number seven, which is a contract delivered to all parties. Now, this is official. A contract is a legal document. So we need to make sure that it gets delivered to the right parties so that everyone can be able to do what they need to do to make sure that you can get into your home. So I, as your agent, will receive a copy of the contract. The seller and the seller's agent will also receive a copy. Your lender will need a copy as well. And then also the title company or the law firm who's going to coordinate the eventual closing and really the handling of a lot of contract details. We all get copies of the contract. And that day that you go under contract on the home, the day that the last signature is placed on the contract, we call that day zero. And that day zero or contract date, you'll hear it called really both of those kind of interchangeably. That is so important because a lot of our contract, it goes by deadlines. This brings us to step number eight in your process, which is the deposit of the earnest money deposit. You'll hear an earnest money deposit called a binder, called just a deposit. Um, I can't think of any really other term that we use for it right now, but they all mean the same thing. Now, this earnest money deposit is typically about 1% of the purchase price. It can be negotiated. You can put down less, you can put down more, but most sellers are not going to accept a contract with the earnest money deposit under about 1%. I would say that that's typically what we see on most contracts. With that earnest money deposit, assuming that you successfully close on the property, that goes towards your down payment. So let's walk through a scenario. Let's say that you're putting down 3% on a conventional loan and your home that you're under contract on is $300,000. If it's $300,000, the total of your down payment is $9,000 because 3% of $300,000 is $9,000. On one of the first five days of the contract, typically, if your earnest money deposit is due within that first five days, you are going to put down $3,000 of the $9,000. So assuming that you successfully close on the property, that $3,000 is credited towards your down payment. The deposit, another way to see it is as your skin in the game. So the seller is taking the home off of the market and losing out on other prospective buyers. Most prospective buyers are not going to schedule a viewing on the home and a seller is not going to be able to accept any other contract once they are under contract with you. 
So that's kind of your skin in the game to show that you're going to honor the deadlines and you're not going to default on the contract. That leads us into step number nine, which is the beginning of your due diligence period. Due diligence period, the simplest way that I explain it to people is that you are looking at the property and the lender is looking at you. Now, go back to when we went under contract on the home, that was termed day zero. And so you will have 15 days by default with our contract to be able to conduct your due diligence on the property. So the first part of that due diligence period is doing your inspection. So that's where that's the part where I say you're looking at the property. And most people will do, I'd say most commonly, a home inspection and a wood destroying organism or a termite inspection. And those have different costs just depending on the vendor. If there's a septic tank on the property, I typically will encourage that you get a septic inspection. And then also, if there is a well on the property, you'll also want to get a well inspection and you'll also want to get the water tested. Now, like I said, most people will do a home inspection and a termite inspection. So let's walk through a little bit of the home inspection. So the home inspection typically focus on the four major points of the home, the roof, the AC system, the electrical system, and the plumbing system. Now, they are also going to look at cosmetic things. They'll also look at any potential foundation issues. It kind of, to me, is like a primary care doctor. So you may go to a primary care doctor and then he may say, well, there's something wrong with your foot. I'm going to refer you to a podiatrist. So a doctor that specializes in looking at feet and and diagnosing concerns with the feet. A home inspector is pretty much the same way. So they're going to give you a large scale overview of the home. And most of the reports are pretty detailed and about 50 to 60 pages. Even on a new construction home, I would say on average, I see about 20 pages on a new construction home. Now, a home inspector's job is to point out issues to you that they feel may be liabilities for you later on or may be cause for concerns. Or sometimes if there's an issue that they draw attention to, they may point you in the direction of another professional. So they may say, well, I have concerns about, you know, the age of the roof, or I have concerns about how many years of life the roof has left on it. So you may want to talk to another roofer about it. Now, it does not matter how pristine the house looks, how clean it looks. Most homes are going to have a very scary home inspection report. There is nothing like opening up your email and looking at 50, 60 pages and thinking, oh, Lord, this house looks so perfect. What is going on behind these walls? Is it falling apart? And so one thing that I always do is I always tell my clients to review the report in detail. And then we typically schedule a call to go over the report and to ask for anything of the seller. Now, the seller, unless they have agreed to clear the whole report, which typically does not happen except for maybe with new construction, unless they have agreed to clear the whole report, the home inspection is basically your opportunity to say yes or no. Do I want the house or not? Are there so many issues that I do not feel comfortable moving forward? Or are there things that you can ask for from the seller to fix? So during your due diligence period, during those first 15 days, that is your opportunity to look at the home, to look at the inspection reports and say, can I move forward with this home or not? Now, in review of your home inspection, I will point out issues that I think may strongly affect your resale value. 
One major thing that I can think of off the top of my head that I typically never encourage my clients to move forward with, no matter if it's fixed on the house or not, just because I've had experience with this, is foundation issues. So even if you fix foundation issues, which typically it can get pretty up there. I've seen foundation issues cost anywhere from twenty dollars to $50,000 for foundation issues to be fixed. So even if you fix it later on after you purchase the home, or even if the seller is willing to fix it while you're under contract, the house does tend to be stigmatized. And I have sold homes that have had foundation issues before. And I will tell you, they are just harder to sell. You get less with your resale value. You don't get as much return on investment. So basically what I'm saying is when I look at a home inspection report, if there are issues in there that I feel like, hey, even if the seller is willing to address this, I think that you should walk away. I'm going to tell you that. I mean, it's your decision at the end of the day, but we're going to be as upfront as possible. Now, the second part of that due diligence period, aside from the inspections, is the lender is looking at you, okay? So there are a few things that the lender is going to be looking at. They're going to be verifying your employment. They're going to be verifying really anything that you've put on your mortgage application or that they find out or or that you've told them because they want to make sure that you're passing muster with their underwriting process. Underwriting is kind of a big fancy word for the mortgage reviewing process. So they're going to do their verifications. They're also going to review your credit report. They're going to, if there's a different name on there, say that you've been married before or a different address or anything that they feel needs to be explained in this process, a lot of times lenders will ask you to do what's called LOX, which is a letter of explanation. And I can't think of one client that I've ever had that hasn't had to do an LOX. And a lot of times it is for simple things, but basically just know for the underwriting process, whenever your lender is asking you for a document, just know that they are showing it to their whole underwriting team behind them. And it takes underwriters a few days to get through the files that they have. So I always urge my clients that it is absolutely imperative that you get, whenever a lender is asking you for a document, get it over to them quickly. Any delay in getting the documents on there, it slows down your review process, which then can put you behind on your deadlines, which then can honestly tank the sale. Or sometimes if they can't prove that you're not a huge financial risk before the deadline, sometimes you could put your deposit in jeopardy. So when a lender asks you for documents, you should not be arguing with them. And so what I typically say to my clients is, look, the lenders are the people with the money, so we have to play by their rules. Now, I also tell my clients if they ever feel like they're being racially discriminated against, go ahead, give me a call. Let's talk through it. But I will say since doing this since 2014, I've never had that issue with any of my clients or with any of my lenders. But the point is you want to give them the documentation as quickly as possible because they are trying to help you get into the home and they're asking you for that piece of paper for a reason. The other thing that a lender is going to do is they're going to order your appraisal for you. Typically, you have to do that within the first week of the contract is order the appraisal. And that's why it was so important. And you may want to go back and listen to part one of our home buying process. But that's why it's so important for us to make sure that we're doing the proper research on your house before we go under contract on it. So let's say that we're under contract on a home at $300,000. 
If we have done our research right, your appraisal should be coming in at or above $300,000. So that means that a third party independent appraiser who will go out to the house, take photos, look at market data, put together an appraisal report, agrees with the contract price and agrees that the house is worth at least $300,000. So let's walk through a few scenarios. Let's say that an appraiser says, well, I don't think that the house is worth $300,000. I think that the house is worth $305,000. So that means that you are moving in with $5,000 of equity into the home. Let's say that the appraiser says that the home is worth $300,000. That is also a good thing because if they say that it's worth $300,000, that means that we did the market research right and you're buying a property at market value. If he says that the home is only worth $299,000 or $295,000, we now have to renegotiate the contract because the bank is only going to lend on the value that the appraiser gives in their appraisal. So if the property appraisal that the appraiser does is not at least $300,000, we are going to have to renegotiate the contract. Now, the appraisal is considered property of the buyer. So typically, I, even as your agent, will not see a copy of the appraisal unless there is an issue. We also don't show the appraisal to the seller unless there is an issue as well. And then even then, typically only the pages that have the information that we need to renegotiate the contract. And the reason why we do it that way is because, again, it's considered property of the buyer. But let's say that we're under contract at $300,000 and the appraisal came in at $305,000. There would be no reason for us to let the seller know that, hey, you could have made $5,000 more on this property and we're getting a deal. Really, any seller at that point, even though they can't just raise the price on the home to be in line with the appraisal, most sellers at that point, they're at least going to feel like they gave away some equity in the home or they're going to want to renegotiate the contract or maybe later in the the contract when you need something from them, they may ask for that $5,000. Now, the lender is the person that orders the appraisal. So once the appraiser turns in their appraisal report to the lender, the lender will have their underwriting team take a look at the appraisal and review it. And they'll send you a copy of the appraisal as the buyer. And typically me as their agent, they'll typically send me one line phrase. The appraisal is sufficient and there are no conditions. So the appraisal is sufficient means that, hey, the home was worth at least $300,000. Great. Awesome. And there are no conditions. That point basically says that the appraiser is not requiring any repairs to be done. So sometimes an appraiser will say, yes, I think that the home is worth $300,000, but I saw a lot of wood rot on the property and I want that fixed in order for this loan to close. So depending on the type of loan that you're getting, and honestly, depending on the appraiser who gets assigned to your property, the appraiser can help make a determination on price and they can also put qualifications on it and ask for repairs to be done which is another thing a lot of times that we have to negotiate if the appraiser does want certain repairs done for the loan to close. Now, typically within your first 15 days, we will hear back from the lender that your loan is conditionally approved. And this is why I tell people that it is so important who you work with as far as a lender. 
Every lender is not the same. Every realtor is not the same. And we will be sure to get into why it is so important that you work with a good lender. So we'll stop here today with just these three steps that we've gone over because I know it's been a lot of detail. So to recap, step number seven, the contract is delivered to all parties. Step number eight, your earnest money deposit is due to the title company and they keep it in hopes that you successfully close, which the vast majority of time, that is exactly what happens. And then that gets credited toward your down payment. Step number nine, we talked about your due diligence period. It's also known as your 15 day period or your contingency period. And that's basically the time where you're doing your due diligence on the property with the inspections and making sure that you're looking over the major systems with the inspector. And then also that's the time for the lender to go ahead and take a look at your credit report, to order an appraisal on the property, and to do the majority of their verifications while you are within the first 15 days. We'll pick up with step number 10 next week, but I wanted to leave you all with a motivational quote from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. He says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Hope you guys have a great week. I look forward to tuning in again with you next week. That's it for today's episode of Confessions of a Realtor. If you're looking for an active full-time agent in the Tallahassee or surrounding areas, thinking about moving or just want more real estate tips and tricks, the best place to connect with me is my Instagram page, Rachel Sells Homes 850. You'll also find it linked in the show notes. My Instagram also has a link in the bio to schedule a complimentary consultation with me, whether you're thinking about selling or purchasing. Alternatively, feel free to text me at 850-206-2199 and I'll respond during business hours. I look forward to connecting with you. 